A few years ago, a movie came out that uh, you may or may not have seen, and, and to be honest with you, I don't know if I could recommend it because I haven't seen it, and reading the review, it sounds like there's quite a bit of maybe not so great language in it, but whether you've seen the movie or not, you've probably heard the idea that came out of it. The movie was called The Bucket List, and you've probably heard of that idea of people talking about a bucket list. Sometimes you'll hear people say, yeah, yeah, that's something that I've put on my bucket list. And the idea is, what are some things that you would like to do with your life before you die? And I guess to be a little bit crude about it, I think the idea, if I understand it right, is what would you like to do before you kick the bucket, okay? So that's why you might say, why was it called the bucket list? As far as I understand, that was the reason why. What would you like to do or accomplish with your life before you die? Have you ever thought about that? Do you have any goals? Do you have any dreams? Anything you think about? Here's some things that I would like to do. It might be, what are the, the Adirondack Peaks? What are there, 49 Adirondack Peaks? Maybe I, I want to be one of the Adirondack 49er kind of things. You know, I, want, I want to accomplish that in my lifetime. Or I'd like to go to Europe once in my life. Or I'd like to learn a foreign language. Or ski in Colorado. Or whatever it might be. In fact, I, I might encourage you tonight to take your sermon notes. And just kind of write on there. My bucket list. And maybe tonight. God's going to begin speaking to you about some things maybe related to your life as we're thinking about that. But I want to ask you this. What if we had to narrow it down to just one thing? What is the, if I ask you tonight, what is the one thing that you would hope to accomplish in your life? That would be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? I mean, just having a bucket list, if you just said, okay, you've got five or six things, if you, you've got, you've got kind of, you know, a small group of things, that's hard enough, isn't it? I mean, I could probably come up with about 25 or 30. So to bring it down to six, seven, eight attainable things, but to say one thing, that's a lot of pressure. That'd be a tough decision, wouldn't it? I heard about three guys who were on a, an island together, and after they had been there a while, this uh, genie bottle kind of rolled up on the beach and and they're oh good, you know, so they, they took the bottle and they, they rubbed on it and the genie comes out and says, okay, you get three wishes. And they're like, oh good, there's three of us, so everybody gets one wish. So the first guy, he's like, okay, you know, I got to think about this. Uh, you know what? I really miss my family. I mean, being on this island with you guys, I got to tell you, if I could have one thing, my wish would be to be back with my family. Poof, he was gone. He was back with his family. Second guy said, wow, you know, I need to think about this too. So he thought about it for a little while. He says, you know what, I'd like to be rich. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you, I'd like to be a millionaire. I'd like to have a mansion. I'd like to have a yacht. That's my wish. I wish I had all those things, and poof, he was gone. Third guy sat down, he thought about it. He says, boy, this this is a tough decision. You don't get an opportunity like this every day to have a wish. I'm just not sure what I want. But I sure do miss those other guys. I wish they were, I wish they would just come back. <laughs> Poof. <laughs> they were back. <laughs> that was probably the last wish he ever got, right? <laughs> well, we got to give that guy a little bit of slack <laughs> because it, it is a lot of pressure to just have one chance, one wish that you could have. Today we're studying Philippians chapter 3. We're, we're, we're doing this series, Finding True Joy in Our Lives. And tonight we want to see what God's Word says is life's greatest pursuit. Now listen to me. 
though we all have different lives to live, don't we? The Bible doesn't say your life is my life. God has created each one of us as unique human beings. We all have different lives to live. We were created for this one common goal. And what I believe God wants us to realize as we're doing this study together is it's only in fulfilling that goal that you and I will truly find the joy that we're looking for in life. So let's talk about joy and life's greatest pursuit. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. And first of all, let's, let's answer this question. What is it? What is life's greatest pursuit? Write that down. What is life's greatest pursuit? I'm curious, and you don't have to say this out loud, but just to think to yourself. If I were to ask you, what do you think God would say is the one thing we ought to pursue? What should be our biggest priority while we're here on this earth? What would you think it would be? Think about that for just a moment. Now let's read Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith or trusting in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, let's look at verse 7 first. Paul says, Whatever things were gained to me. Now, if you're kind of curious about that, you can go back. Last week, we talked about uh, experiencing joy and being accepted by God. You can go back and listen to that message online. But Paul said, as he was talking about those things, he was talking about his life, he was recounting some of his experience in life, he said, whatever things were gained to me, basically, whatever things I have done with my life, even good things, but things that were decided or directed by me, things that I thought were important, but I did them on my own apart from God and His direction for my life, those kind of things, he says, I have changed my mind about those kind of things. All the things I chased after, after all the things I thought were important in life, I now, the Apostle Paul says, I count them, I consider them as loss. Or as actually damages. And as soon as I thought of that, I thought about an insurance company. Or I thought about an accountant, okay? When you think about, we're taking a loss on this one, right? Is that a good thing? <laughs> okay, what is that? Negatives, right? Okay, we're, we're, we're going to have a setback on this one. Okay, Paul says all those things in life that, that I made the decision, that I made the direction, all those kind of things, I've decided were loss or damage to what God is up to in my life. Now he's beginning to hint at where we're going to go with this. Then he continues in verse 8. He says, more than that, in fact, I count everything that I do with my life as a loss or as damages compared with the surpassing value. Now, here he's going with it. He's about to tell us what is that most important pursuit in life. He said, everything else I do in my life, I count that as a loss 
are damages compared with the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. Now that that surpassing value, basically what that means is nothing compares with knowing Jesus. And actually the word knowing is the word uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The word that's used there is the word, it's a word that means intimate knowledge. Okay, it means close relationship. In fact, it was used of a husband and a wife. The Bible in the Old Testament talks about the couple got married and they knew one another. That was kind of a euphemism. That was kind of a nice way, a, a softening of the sexual relationship. Okay, so it's, it's talking about intimacy here. Paul says, I count everything else as damages compared to the extremely just, it it doesn't compare with anything else of intimately knowing Jesus Christ. He says, in fact, compared with that, everything else is rubbish. Now, I don't use the word rubbish very often, do you? Uh, could you, kids, could you take out the rubbish, okay? I don't even know if you knew that that's what that was. That's basically what it's talking, it's talking about waste, okay? It's talking about, I mean, again, not to be crude, but it, it, it could be talking about manure, okay? That's what it's talking about. Leftovers that you would throw out to the dogs, okay? And so if you think about it that way, it's not worth having. That's what it's basically saying. I compare everything else in my life, as not worth having, if you compare it with the surpassing, beyond anything else, unbelievable privilege of getting to know better, more intimately, my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He says, you know what, we all live our lives in in different kind of pursuits. And Paul says, for many years, I spent my life, now listen, someone needs to hear this, Paul, actually, if you go back and read what I was just referring to that we talked about last week, Paul says, I actually spent my life as a very devout, very religious person for many years, but actually, that did not help me grow in my personal relationship with God because it was empty ritual and ceremony. It was man-made rules and regulations that did not contribute to me having a relationship with God. Paul said, now though, anything in my life that does not add towards me knowing the Lord better, I consider as a loss. I consider as damages in my life. The greatest pursuit in life, friend, the greatest pursuit the Apostle Paul says that any person can have is to seek to know God in a close personal relationship. He continues in verse 9. He says, I want to be found in Him. Now that in Him emphasis is found all throughout Paul's writing. It's the same idea that was symbolized uh, that is symbolized this weekend in baptism. When a person is baptized, do you notice that person goes all the way under? They are submersed. They are immersed in Christ. I am found completely. That's the picture that's being said. I have received Christ as my Savior. My life is covered. It is saturated by Jesus Christ. I am completely and totally identified with him. Paul says, I am trusting in Christ alone, not by any righteousness of my own that's been derived from any law, from the law, the Old Testament law, but that which is through faith, through trusting in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that is on the basis of trusting in him. Then in verse 10, once more, he says, my goal, my aim in life is to experience Jesus Christ and all that he's about. He says, that I may know him. He says, I want a personal relationship with him. I want to know the power of his resurrection And that even, I don't like this one, 
I even want to understand His pain. I want to experience somewhat of the fellowship of His sufferings. Now let me just say something here. There might be some of us here tonight that would just say, you know what, Pastor Robbie, that is well and good for all of you folks. You know, you're interested in religious things and you want to know more about Jesus. I get that. That's fine for you, but it's not so much for me. I have other interests. I can't just sit around and read the Bible and study about Jesus all the time. But let me just clarify some things so that we make sure we understand what we're talking about here. First of all, we're not talking about your cup of tea and my cup of tea. In other words, we're not talking about you like sports and somebody else like the arts, right? Okay, I mean, we are all different, right? Some people like some things, some people like other things. In the same way, you like Jesus, someone might say, and want to know more about Him, but I like golf. I like science, or I like travel, and that's what interests me. Now what we're saying about this is, according to God's Word, no matter who you are, no matter what you enjoy doing or pursuing with your life, this is, listen, a universal need that every single one of us has. If you, friend, listen, you don't have to believe me. You can talk back to me. You can talk back to the Lord because ultimately that's the one you're talking about. You could say, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. And that's fine. That's your choice. That's your decision. But the Bible is asserting that you're never going to find true joy and fulfillment in your life in pursuing other things. It is only in saying the one goal, the main goal, the primary goal in pursuit of my life is to know better my Creator. And secondly, we're not just talking about, this is very important. It bothers me as a pastor that we need to be very careful. We're not just talking about knowing about God. Many Bible-believing churches over time get focused on information. Okay, We came to church. We learned a lesson. We heard some material. Okay, I learned something new. Well, some of that may be okay, learning information, but that's not the end purpose that God has. God's end purpose is for us to gain information so that it produces transformation. So that I have an encounter with God. He speaks through His Word. And so we're not talking about, hey, I'm learning some information about God. And many people miss that critical point. Wives, would you, would you enjoy it if your husband said, honey... I want you to write a book, and I'm going to read that book about you. Instead of us kind of, you know, having this marriage thing, I would rather just read a book about you. Wouldn't that just bless your heart? Wouldn't you want that for your anniversary? Guys, this is good news. The God of the universe wants us to know Him. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, when you stand before God one day, that's really going to be, that, that, that's the key. Did I ever have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Did I ever receive his gift of salvation? Was I ever transformed by the power of Christ and entered into a relationship with him? Uh, write down John chapter 17, verse 3. Listen to this. Jesus says, this is eternal life. Okay, let's move on. 
Wouldn't you like to hear the rest of that? What is eternal life? How does the Bible describe or define eternal life? Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friend, the Bible is making it clear. The highest pursuit, the best pursuit of my life, the thing that is going to change your life is in a growing, personal, intimate relationship with the God who created you. And if you receive his uh, gift of salvation, the God who saved you. That's life's greatest pursuit. But secondly, how important is that pursuit? Look at verses 12 through 16. How important is it that we follow that pursuit? Paul says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect or complete or mature, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, and again, that word means complete or mature, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, (laughs) Paul's being nice here, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Now, sometimes when you hear a guy like me, Pastor Robbie's up here, and he's speaking so confidently about these things from the Bible, sometimes you, you may kind of think, you know, Pastor Robbie, he's all over this stuff. I mean, like, he's just, he's just living it out to the max. But I got to tell you, like Paul, I just have to be up here because somebody's supposed to, and God has said, I guess I'm the one tonight, Okay. But Paul says, just like I would say, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. Okay, Paul's just saying, listen, I, I, haven't, I myself have, am not all done. I'm not complete. I've not completely finished this pursuit. But Paul says this in verses 12 through 16. He says, this is how important, how critical this is for your life and for mine. When it comes to a relationship with God, when it comes to pursuing Him, and that's a word you ought to write down, We're talking about a pursuit, okay? A chasing after, a following after. Paul says, I press on. That is a word that meant to be, that was meant to be a word of determination. Actually, the word actually almost meant pestering somebody. Paul says, I press on. It meant actually could be used in terms of persecution, okay? So this is a word that's talking about really kind of not giving up on something, almost to the point of, if you thought about it this way, pestering God, okay? I, I think of Jacob. What is it, Genesis chapter 34? He grabbed hold, you know? You know, as I thought about that this week, could Robbie be described as pestering God? I just keep knocking on his door, Lord. I'm not giving up, I want to know you. Or is it more often that God is actually having to pursue me. Paul says, I want to lay hold of. I want to grab onto... I love this phrase. Paul says, I want to grab onto whatever God grabbed hold of me for. Isn't that a great phrase? Because you know what? God grabbed hold of my life. And by the way, did you know that? You didn't come to Him. He came to you. He came to you and grabbed hold of you. And you say, you know what, God? You grabbed hold of me for something. And Paul's saying, I want to know. 
I want to know what it is that God grabbed hold of me for. And I'm not giving up until I experience that to the max. Isn't that great? He says, I'm not there yet, but here's one thing I do. And by the way, there's several times in the Bible that mentions one thing. You ought to note that. When the Bible says one thing, that's a pretty big statement. Somebody said, if you want to accomplish anything significant in any area of life, there's certainly a principle of a need for focus, right? If you're going to know Christ in a meaningful way, we have, you and I must give it more thought than many of us are today. Now, that's not intended to bring us guilt. That's not intended to make you feel bad, but it is intended to be a challenge. Would you receive that tonight? I need to receive that tonight. If I'm truly going to experience all that God has for me, I need to, I need to give my heart a little more to that pursuit. Amen, anybody else? Then he says, I forget what is behind me, and I reach forward to what lies ahead. Now, many of us just watched the Summer Olympics, right? We saw the Summer Olympics, and, and, and this, this idea that he's talking about here, actually what Paul's talking about, is this idea of stretching out, okay? And, you know, when we watch the races, you remember, uh, was it Allison Felix and uh, the other runner, the two ladies in the Olympic trials? Remember what they were tied? You know, there was the whole thing about who's going to go for this certain race because they both were stretched out and they were tied. Okay, well, that's that idea. When you saw those people going across the finish line in those uh, races, the 100 meters or whatever, when you saw them stretching out, that's the word, because by the time Paul was writing, the Olympics had been around for around 800 years. They'd been around for a while. And many times the Apostle Paul would use sports imagery because, uh, and there was actually some games uh, in, in some other areas where there was the Olympics and then there was the Corinthian games. And so they had lots of games that were around that they could kind of pull those, that sports imagery from. And here's what I want to ask you tonight. What would better describe your pursuit of God? Would it be an athlete pushing hard to reach the goal? Or would it be the couch potato saying, oh man, Michael Phelps, man, that's too bad on all that getting up early stuff. Hey, could somebody bring me some potato chips? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of funny, but seriously. Now, I don't want to, I want to be careful about something. I don't want to give a false understanding of our relationship with God. Many of us see it as working hard, working real hard to please Him. Remember we said last time, that is not it. Okay? It is not that I've got to work, I've got to produce all this stuff. What we're talking about here is desire. We're talking about passion. We're talking about openness. We're talking about surrender. We're talking about motive and intent and, and heart. And the ground of my heart, is it open? Is it ready? See, I can't do God's work in my life. God has to initiate that. But there is some element of my receptivity. Am I willing to receive? Am I open to that? Am I putting myself in a position where God... Is it important? Is it a priority? Because remember, the extent that you experience joy and fulfillment is directly related to how close you are to Jesus. Is that worth pursuing? Paul finishes out in verses 15 and 16. He says, you know, this really is an attitude that any 
mature follower of Christ ought to have. He says, let us therefore, as many as are perfect. I don't really like that translation as much because it kind of sounds like perfect, you know, in the sense of got it all right, okay? That's not really the idea there. It's more of complete or mature or, 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 or having the right mindset, okay? is really, especially in Philippians, as many as have the right viewpoint. That's what he says, really. He says, as many as are perfect have this attitude. They have the, this way of thinking. And if you don't, Paul says, and by the way, remember earlier we said there was a if you something, and it meant it was assumed that it was true. It says if something, and it was assumed that that statement was true. Paul says, and if some of you don't agree with this, and there was a parenthesis, and I know some of you don't, Okay, so basically, as someone said, it's basically saying, and since some of you don't agree with this, I'll trust God to show you. That's where I said he was kind of giving a little bit of a poke there. Paul says, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard. He said, really, you should take this approach. How important, how important is it, friend, You're a mom trying to do the best you can. You're a teenager trying to figure out life. You're a dad trying to support your family. There's a lot of things on our plates. Would you say tonight that pursuing God, knowing Him, is the consuming number one passion of your life? And number three, it's really the challenge. Will you make it your pursuit? Look at verses 17 through 21. Paul says, brethren, join me in following my example. Join and follow my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite. And actually that word literally means belly. Their God is their belly. Uh, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what Paul's doing here is he's saying, listen, you've got to realize, not everybody's going to make this decision. Paul's giving a challenge here. This is the consuming pursuit of life for a follower of Jesus. Not everybody's going to have that. But you're different, right? You're different than everybody else. How are you different? Your citizenship is in heaven. This world is not my home. From which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Paul's just giving some perspective here. Now, I'm not going to super dig into this because um, uh, we don't have time to do that here tonight. Because really, this is a wrap-up. These verses are... Kind of Paul saying, I'm challenging you to follow the example that I'm trying to set. I'm warning you about people who don't necessarily follow that example. But if you're on the way to heaven, if you're truly a follower of Jesus, you should be heading in this direction. So the question is, are you? Am I? In light of that challenge, I hope you'll take it seriously. And I want to give you some practical direction. How would a person... Do this. I don't want to just challenge you to say, yes, I want to, but let's think about 
How would I grow in knowing Christ better? Well, I'm going to put it in a way that maybe we're familiar with. We've heard us say here before at New Hope. There's lots of different ways of saying it. But I want you to write down worship, grow, and serve. The reason we talk about those things is because those things in many ways encapsulate much of what our life, our following Jesus is all about. That worship aspect. How would I grow in knowing Christ better? Well, let me ask you this. Do you grow in your relationship with God when you come to weekend worship? Do you get to know God better? Do you experience Him? Do you hear His Word? Do you open up your heart to Him? Does He speak to you about things? Does He get you you still for a few minutes when He wouldn't otherwise? Do you meet people out in the foyer? Do you make relationships and you go have coffee? Okay, so the worship, corporate worship, this is a way. This is one of the biggest ways where you and I get to know Jesus Christ better. We need this. That's why God calls us to do it. But you also need individual worship. You and I need times when we come before God. You see, really, this is what it really ought to be, and I'm trying to help because many of us maybe have never been taught this. We think of it as, I kind of go about my life, and then when I go to church, you know, Pastor Robbie, the church family helps me kind of come to God. I really need that. And then I go back and I just sort of survive. And then I come back and I get back with the Lord. It really should be more like this. We're encouraging you so much. We're helping you grow. God's working in your life so much that you, this is not enough. You take him home and you're growing in a daily walk with him. And ultimately the goal would be, and again, this is not going to be perfect, but ultimately the goal would be that all of us are little temples of the Holy Spirit that worship God all throughout the week. And man, we have some humdinger of worship when we get together because I've been walking with Jesus all week and I'm fired up to get together with you guys. Amen? What about the grow part? How am I going to grow in Christ? Well, I've got to spend time in His Word. Have you made the decision? I will tell you, I don't think there's any silver bullets, secret weapons. You know, I think a lot of it's just following the Lord and obeying His commands. But if I were to identify one thing, if you made a decision tonight about your walk with Jesus, it would be that I'm going to seek with God's help and by God's grace to spend time with God every single day myself. If you make that decision, I'm not talking about, yes, I can say I read my Bible today. Yes, I can say I lifted up a few prayers. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying pursuing God, meeting with God daily yourself. Start tomorrow. However long. It doesn't have to be two hours. You just start with you and God. Then spending time with others. That's why we do those growth group things. We're going to be kicking off new growth groups in a couple. Why do we do that? We spend a lot of time investing in it, preparing for that, promoting that, getting ready for it, planning all those things. Why do we do that? Because we know people grow in that environment when they get together and study God's Word. Somebody walked up to me this morning. And said, they were coming out of a, a, a growth group, actually. I was here this morning, and somebody walked out of a growth group, and they were learning some things, and they asked me some questions. I thought, isn't that awesome? They were in a group this morning, God began stirring something in their heart. The pastor was walking by. I was able to help. And, and that person's growing. They need their own daily time with God, which I know they have. But they also need us. And you know, you say, well, I come to this. But you're not, I mean, you know, it, it's a little difficult. Hey, 
You ever want to ask a question? Best Robbie, time out. Go back and talk about that a little bit more. Or I need to ask about this. Amen? That's why the Bible says we need those smaller groups of people like that. A second thing in your growth is seeking to live it out daily. Spending time in the Word, but then seeking with God's help to live it out. Work it out. That's what it said in Philippians 2.13, right? Work it out. Paul says, he grabbed hold of me for something. i got to figure out what that is. Amen? Let me live this today. Let me see how it works. And then serve. Live out God's mission to share Christ with other people and get involved in serving others. Let me tell you, I want to share something with you. The quiet time thing really, to me, is probably the biggie. But personally in my life, I would say over the last 10 years, really since being at New Hope, the Lord has taught me, I've learned that much of my growth comes because I'm involved in serving other people. If I'm not involved in serving, I tend to get lazy. I will grow more because you need me than because I need me. Does that make sense? When you need me to be strong, I take that more seriously than when I need me to be strong. So getting involved in serving others, fulfilling the mission that God's given us, that helps me to grow. I get to know Jesus. I am with his heartbeat. I'm putting my head on his chest when I'm telling others about Christ, when I'm sharing the good news about Jesus. Now, it's kind of cool that this weekend I'm emphasizing that. And we didn't plan. I wish, I wish I was smarter. I wish we thought of things better. God, just we stumble over. But there's a table full of materials out in the foyer this weekend on how you can spend time with God on a daily basis. Isn't that cool? I would like to say we prayed and planned ahead, and there it is. <laughs> but I didn't. Thank the Lord. It's out there. Remember what our series is about. Are you hungry tonight? You may not believe me, and you can spend the next five or ten years of your life pursuing other things. But Jesus says this is what it's all about. He's worth knowing. The more I get to know him, friends, I'm telling you, I've been through a lot of different phases in my life, in my Christian life. The more I get to know him, he's better than I thought. He's better than I knew. And I ask you to pray for me. Because I'm like Paul in verse 12. Not that I'm doing this. Or have already become complete. But I am pressing on. Will you join me? And make that decision tonight. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? I wonder if there's a Christian here tonight and you've accepted less than God's best for you. And you know it. You know you've dabbled. You know you've got your foot wet in the deep end. But it's time to take seriously Jesus calling you forward into an intimate, personal relationship. You don't even know what that means. Maybe you've never even had a relationship that you could describe like that with a human being, so it's, it's really difficult to think about how to have that with the God that you can't see. But why don't you just let him take care of all that? Why don't you just say yes tonight? 
Jesus, I don't know how. I don't know what. But I say yes. This is the desire of my heart. I want to know you. Show me yourself. Show me how to follow you. Show me how to carve out time to make you a priority in my life. Show me how this, this is not a burden, but this is an opportunity for me to meet with my Creator. The God who keeps this universe going wants to know me and speak to me and lead me and use me in the lives of other people. Is God calling you forth tonight? I know He's speaking to my heart. Maybe it's back to a commitment. Maybe you used to spend more time with Him. Maybe you used to seek Him more. And we all have phases. Like I said, we go through. Maybe you've been in a down cycle and God's calling you back. Praise His name, He does that. I hear you, Lord. I receive that tonight. Would you say that to Him? Maybe there's somebody here tonight You'd say, oh my goodness, I always thought God was just religion and rules and mad at me and hard on us and I don't even know what. Are you serious? God wants me to have a relationship with Him? It's true, friend. He loved you so much, He would send His Son to die for you. He had to because you and I are sinners and sin is serious. But tonight, he's willing to forgive you if you'll trust him. Would you, like that person last week, say, Jesus, I receive you tonight. I give my life to you. I want to follow you. Teach me how to follow you. Come into my life and be my Savior. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. Help us to hear your call tonight and answer it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.